on in the church, but I'd like to draw your attention to the uh, membership, excuse me, to the, the liturgy inside, the membership emphasis, which is the Apostles' Creed. When you gather together for church, you're not just an isolated person. You come as the body of Christ. The, main, the church, the ecclesia, which is one of the words we use in here, the ecclesia is the Greek word. It's the word that Jesus actually used in Matthew chapter 16. I will build my ecclesia. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to stop its advance. So we're, we're really excited to be a part of the ecclesia, and that's part of what we put in here. But the, uh, the church of Jesus Christ is not just made up of the people living today that are attending a church. Because sadly, there's some people that are attending church buildings that are not a part of the church of Jesus Christ. They may be religious, and they may actually mention Jesus here and there. But if you're not in Christ, then you're not a Christian. You're not a believer. You're not going to be a part of the body of Christ. So that's important. I, I'm, I'm wanting you to know that you need to be a part of the body of Christ. Hence, our membership emphasis is that we want you to be identified. Uh, I'll, be ask, I'll be offering this month, I think, two different uh, classes, one on a Sunday afternoon, I think one on a Tuesday. Uh, we want to be able to invite you to come and learn about the ecclesia and be a part of it because we'd like you to be identified with the body of Christ, not an outsider. Uh, but the other part of it is it's not just those who are, who are believers today, but it's with those who have been believers throughout all of time. And I, I would passionately make the case that the first people that were a part of the church were Adam and Eve. I don't believe it just started with, with, uh, with Peter and John in Acts 2. I do believe that Adam and Eve were in Christ because I believe the gospel was preached to them. The first presentation is Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, when, the, when God says to the woman, he says, I will uh, have enmity between you and, and between Satan and between mankind. But he says, I'm, there's going to be one born of woman who will crush Satan. Okay, that special hope was found in the one born of a virgin named Jesus Christ. And I believe Adam and Eve were looking forward in faith to the one that would be born that would bring victory, that would bring a relief, bring salvation from the wrath of God. Because when they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, they knew what the wrath of God was. It's not just imaginary. They, they were kicked out, and the shame of their sin was known but they look forward to one who would be born. That's why when Cain was born, if you, if you know what his name means, she said, that's the one. Eve thought that Cain was going to be Jesus. Boy, she was sadly disappointed. Okay, but there was one born in due time. As, as Galatians 4, 4 says, in the fullness of time, God did send forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem those who are, un, who, who are under the curse to redeem us. That's the gospel message. There's a lot of things going on right now, but if you join me with the Apostles' Creed, this is what Christians have been saying for not only uh, decades, but centuries. And so let's read this together if you join me in the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ecclesia, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, 
the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Charlie, would you come on up and lead us in prayer? Good morning. Good morning. Today, we celebrate the birth of our nation. And I want to just emphasize what Robert had said in the Declaration of Independence. There is this well-known phrase, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, the signers <clears throat> believed that these were inalienable rights that were given to all humans by the Creator. Robert mentioned that, I want to emphasize that. Yes, the colonists wanted to re have relief from the European tyrants. They also wanted to be able to acknowledge and worship God as the Creator and as their maker and as their source of salvation. They wanted to do that and not be mandated by a monarch of how they might worship and what that might include. Today, I want to tell you that we are in a battle, and I do mean a battle, to see if these principles will endure. What I want to tell you is that God, through the Holy Scriptures, has something to say regarding revering God as we go about establishing policies and politics. There's an example right there. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That's in Psalms. Proverbs is full of sayings that give us a good indication of how we should conduct our business and certainly our relationship with others. I'd encourage you to read that if you haven't studied it. My favorite one, um, and I'm not sure I can't see that if that's the one it's not, but. It is. Um, <laughs> good. I know so, your favorite one. Yes, you do. Second <laughs> uh, Chronicles 7:14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their evil ways. I will hear them from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And I'm gonna tell you, as we celebrate the birth of our nation, that's a critical, critical verse, and I want to encourage us to do that. Join me in prayer, please. Oh Lord, as we humbly come as sinners, to worship you this morning. We also come boldly, knowing that we are saved by the blood of Christ. And Lord, we see your majesty and mystery and awesomeness. You are our provider, our sustainer, our comfort, our refuge, and even our salvation. Lord, we come confessing our sins. We have not done those things that we should have, and we've done things that we shouldn't, sins of omission and of commission both. And so, Lord, we confess those with a heavy heart, but we know indeed that Christ was on the cross that takes care of those sins. 
Lord, I would ask that whenever we would waver, prick our consciousness and draw us closer to you. We do thank you, Lord, for this country, this great country, even with its difficulties. We thank you for the land where we can still worship you and where we can be free and where we can engage in our family activities. Lord, I want to lift up our petitions to you. There are those of our members who are physically hurting, mm -hmm. have some illness, have some difficulty. Lord, if it be your will, heal them, but give them comfort and peace. And those that have relationship difficulties, who have spiritual difficulties, Lord, strengthen them, draw them to yourself. Lord, we want to pray for our missionaries. Part of our, our outreach, as was mentioned, is to be a light in places other than just this community. They serve in difficult places, more difficult than here. Be with them and strengthen them. And Lord, I would pray for the leaders of our country, but even more than that, Lord, I would pray for the people, that there may be a revival, that there may be a reawakening, that indeed we may seek after you and that we may worship you. Now, Lord, as uh, Robert brings the message, give him the words you would have him to say and prick our ears that we may hear and be responsive. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and worship the Lord together this morning.
thank you so much that we have this opportunity to freely worship you. Lord, we're so we're so thankful, Lord, that you have given us true freedom, freedom from sin. Lord, you've taken that sin upon yourself and you've reconciled us back to the father. You've given us a new life and a new name and a, and a heaven that is waiting for us. Lord, we, we're just so thankful today for that freedom that we have in you. Lord, we're no longer bound to sin because of you. Thank you so much, Jesus. Lord, this, this morning, we pray that you would teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that your word would come alive. It is alive. Help it to be alive in us. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may take your seats. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 3. It's found on page 1100. 59 in your pew Bibles. Uh, it is also printed for you on the insert of the bulletin. And for those of you that uh, are new to the church, uh, or if, if, if you've taken notice, there is a new bulletin card that is in front of you. You're welcome to take it. In fact, I kind of encourage that to happen. Uh, the bulletin card gives you an idea of where we're going this month. It kind of, I, I actually spend a lot of time talking to the Lord about how to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. According to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, uh, the goal of a pastor is not to learn everything about everything, but it is actually to equip or to train or to disciple God's people so that they can do the work of the ministry. So part of the body that I'm, I'm supposed to help, like the circulatory system, to help get that oxygen to all of the different parts of the body, and you guys are supposed to be like the muscles and the tendons and the bones to be able to, and the organs to be able to make sure that the things get done. Uh, I was just learning a little bit more about the body uh, this week as my mother-in-law ended up having to be taken to the hospital, and uh, it was very sobering uh, with my wife's tears when, uh, when, when we couldn't figure things out. And uh, my mother-in-law is in her early 80s, and uh, she was just not thinking clearly, not saying things right, coughing and all these kind of things. And uh, we ended up getting her to her, her hospital at home in York, and uh, she's doing better, but just got the diagnosis confirmed that she's got pneumonia on top of COPD, on top of, uh, of a UTI, on top of this. I mean, it was like uh, lots of things going on. Uh, but when you think about the body, it's not good if one part is hurting, it affects everything. And the body of Christ, which we've been preaching on from the book of Colossians, says that we're a part of that body and that we're united and Christ is the head or the brain. He's the one that, that uh, basically gets the whole body to work together to accomplish the ecclesia purposes. Now, there's a few things that I want to highlight, but as I said, if you follow along on here, you're going to see that in Acts 3, Acts 4, and Acts uh, 5, we're going to be studying the book of Acts uh, so the book of Acts is a, is a history book, and how appropriate on July 4th, when we're looking at the history of our country, we're going to be looking a little bit at the history of Christ's church and see how some of those things fit together. Uh, I'm going to be trying to emphasize something that's pretty radical. Um, it's the fact that change is a good thing. 
You got to let that seep in because I'll explain that in the sermon in just a few moments. But for the other ones that are new to the church, there is a fourth point supplement. It's back by the back of the church uh, by the cross or it's in the zone area. Uh, we want to be able to give this supplement for those of you taking notes. Uh, also, it's a way of, of helping with the fourth point application. Uh, at our church, we always encourage people to not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer. And part of that doing is to taking the truth that's been communicated through the exposing of the scriptures and applying them to your own hearts and then figuring out what would the Lord have me do today, this week, and how to be a witness. Just like our brother Jim was testifying today, you can take one of these cards or posters and you can point people to the cross. It's kind of beautiful how it all works. But now let us, if, if we could take notice of the, uh, of the word cloud that, uh, that typically goes up at the beginning of the preaching time, I always like to remind people of who we are. This is New Covenant Church, and uh, you'll see that we're not promoting a particular denomination or, or a particular thing, but I want you to know that we are rooted and grounded in Scripture. Hence, every week we try to say we're a Bible-believing church and we're gospel-driven. Yes, we do hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith, which explains a little bit about why we're reformed and why we're covenantal, but we also want to practically be very friendly. We want to cherish the worship service, and if you look around in those, I hope that describes uh, what you're experiencing here, but I hope it describes you, and that's why on our membership emphasis, I'd like to encourage you to be numbered with God's people. Now, we're going to be looking at the Word of God, and this, as I always like to say, is, is inspired, it's infallible, and it is, uh, it is from the Lord. In the originals, it's without error. It's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. So let's reverently look at what God's Word provided. This comes from Dr. Luke. Uh, who was one of the disciples, he comes, uh, we learn about him uh, when, when the Apostle Paul, as a missionary in Acts 16, has this fellow, this, this medical person, join him. Now, Luke ended up doing some eyewitness accounts because he joins the history of the church a little bit late. Uh, he doesn't really know all the details. And so guess how he writes the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts? He does some research. You know, and I, he went to some of the original sources. We call them eyewitnesses. And when he went and talked to people like Mary and like Joseph, and when he talked to, uh, to, to some of these others, they actually knew some of the names. And so when you look at the Gospel of Luke, you get more detail than even Matthew gives us about Jesus' birth. Isn't that interesting? If it wasn't for Luke, we wouldn't know that the angels came together and had that, that glorious chorus, you know, glory to God in the highest uh, we're grateful that Luke was asking some questions. It helps. God had ordained it that we would get this well-rounded picture. But Luke didn't finish with his first book to Theophilus. He wrote a second book to Theophilus, uh, not about Jesus, but about the effects of the gospel after Jesus had died, been buried, and res rose again. And uh, the book of Acts is a history book, and that's what we're looking at. So let's reverently look at this text in chapter 3. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour to, of prayer. It was the ninth hour. And a, a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he, the lame man, asks to receive alms. And Peter... Peter directed his gaze at that man, as did John, and they said, look at us. Now, just, just have to 
let that sink in for a moment. These uh, two preacher people, you know, the apostles, Peter and John, are heading to the proverbial church. They were going to the big temple that was in Jerusalem, you know, up on the Temple Mount, where right now, if you were to go over there, you'd see that uh, the Muslim mosque. But they were heading to the temple, and, and before they got to go and turn the corner into it, they went by the beautiful gate, uh, and at the beautiful gate, there, was, uh, there, was, there were people who were, who were in need. Now, if you were a person in need, do you think that would be a good place to go? You know, why didn't they go by uh, I-95 and just sit on the side of the road? They'd see more people, right? No, at I-95, or if you, if you took any of these huge roads, nobody would stop and pay attention to you. they just whiz by. The reason why they're at the church door or at the gate that goes into the temple is because they're hoping that there's religious people that are going there. And, and what's implied about religious people? Is it that they complain about the color of the carpet? No, the reason why the people brought this lame man to that area is because they're expecting that the people going inside the temple are actually caring and loving and, and thoughtful people. Is that true in 2021? That the people that go to church are thoughtful and caring and generous? Now, this is the story. Uh, this is his story. This is actually true. This is what happened. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go in, he basically asked them for money. He asked them for alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and they said, look at us. And the man fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter, notice the word but. Uh-oh. This is not what's expected. Luke is trying to tell you that this is not what he expected to come next. He says, but the preacher man, but Peter said to the, to the person, I have no silver and gold. Now, I didn't, I would expect that as a, out of a preacher, right? He doesn't have a big investment. Um, but he says, Peter says to him, I have no silver, I have no gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And verse 10, they recognized him. I know that guy. I've walked past that guy. I put a quarter in his cup. I gave him 10 bucks last week. If you look at verse 10, it says, I recognize that guy. He's the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking daily, weekly, monthly, annually for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. If you could join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much that, that the story here it tells us what actually happened. Lord, we get to know, as uh, Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. We're thankful for Dr. Luke and his pursuit of knowing a little bit more and for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to pass that information on to us. Oh, Lord, I pray that you will... Stir our hearts today, not just to notice the needy, but to be able to see the change that you ushered in in Acts 3. In Jesus' name I give thanks. Amen. I have a question at the beginning. 
Does everything stay the same? Do you want it to stay the same? How many of you want to get a little older? How many of you are happy with your income stream? Would you like it to be a little bit better? How many of you that have a terminal diagnosis, would you like a change? Or how many of you that haven't received a terminal diagnosis, would you like a change? See, it's interesting that we like change for some things, but we don't like change for some other things. Okay, uh, we're kind of fickle people like that. Uh, I, I kind of, I was interested though in the, third, the three laws of motion. You know, things that are in motion tend to stay in motion. Okay, until there, until there is some kind of force to be able to stop that. Okay, today I'm going to be talking about a force that brings about some of the change. And uh, you might be surprised at it. But if you'll take your, uh, the, the um, I want to read a few more texts before I get into the details of it. Uh, they're printed for you on the back of the fourth, fourth page. I'll just read them up in front. Uh, and we're going to first look at Matthew chapter 24. Uh, it, this is kind of like reading the New Testament and a little bit of the Old Testament. I want to put the word of God before you because faith comes not by hearing Pastor Decker. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So let's look at Matthew chapter 24, verses 9 through 14. Uh, this is Jesus before all the death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus was looking at the Jerusalem people, and he, and he basically is uh, giving them testimony about what's going to happen. He says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. Did you know that Jesus wasn't so nice? I mean, listen to the sermon that he preached to his disciples. Then... They will deliver you up to tribulation and they will put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Yeah, that's not only people from Iran or from some of these other nations that have terrorists, but you'll be, there are going to be people all around this globe that are not going to like you. Now, who is he talking to? To disciples, to people that are following Jesus. Jesus, before the death, burial, and resurrection, was preparing his people. He said, it's, it's not going to be easy. Anybody that has my name attached to them, it's not going to be easy. Verse 10, and then, if there could be worse, and then many will fall away and betray one another and they'll hate one another. Man, didn't I talk about the church of Jesus Christ conquering and prevailing? This sounds kind of like we're bipolar or something. Jesus is saying that people are going to fall away from the religious crowd that followed Christ and people are going to betray one another. Uh, it's, this is scary stuff. Then he goes on in verse 11, and more things. And many false prophets will arise and, and lead many astray. And, and this kind of fits that they're going to come to the pulpit. They're going to actually stand in the place of the folks who are supposed to, you know, be followers of Christ. And they're going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. You can read about that in the book of Jude. Verse 12. And I'm telling you. Jesus' sermon was too long, right? All this bad stuff and more. And because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. What do you think lawlessness looks like? <laughs> Just turn on the TV, right? When you look, how many people are following the law? Now, that would be trying to follow the laws that the legislatures have done. But how many people are following God's law? 
And because of lawlessness abounding and increasing, the love of many people for God is going to grow cold. But finally, we get a something besides an and. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel, this good news of the kingdom of God will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Before the end comes, God says, I'm going to have a witness to go through all the world pretty encouraging. Jesus didn't leave us hopeless, even though there's all this hopelessness. Now, if you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is kind of like the theme for our series. Uh, and it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, you've heard that one before because it's heard in many, many missionary circles. But I want you to focus on the first six words or first seven, but you will receive something. What are you going to receive? Okay, you're going to receive something that you need in order to be my witnesses in this earth to take it to the ends of the earth. I'm going to focus on that in a moment. Now, if you go to Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, this is the Great Commission. This is what Jesus, after resurrection, looks at his disciples, and he says, uh, go therefore, this is after in verse 18, he has said, all authority is mine. In other words, I have the power. Or if you want to use one of those commercial or um, cartoon characters, I have the power, you know, some of those old cartoons, He-Man and all that stuff. Jesus said that he had the power. He had the authority. And with that authority, this is the commission he gives you. Go, or as you're going, make disciples of all nations and baptizing them or getting them included into the church uh, in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have the triperspectival. You got the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And he says, teaching them to observe what's in the Bible, what I have revealed, what I have commanded for you. And behold, as you're doing this, as you're going, I will be with you to the end of the age. That is some of the context for Acts chapter 3. Now, when Peter and John were going up to the temple to pray, uh, that's when they ran into the lame man. A lame man from birth was being carried, uh, and he was being laid at the gate. Now, that's some of the context I wanted you to be able to see. But if you'll go down to 1 Corinthians verse 1, this is the same apostle Paul uh, that has been converted. He ends up saying, the word of the cross is foolishness or folly to those who are perishing, but unto us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Notice the power is the preaching of the cross. It's the gospel message. Now, if you go a little further in Ephesians, just a few verses where he says, finally, after he's gone through the whole council to these, to these believers at Ephesus, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the evil one. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present age, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Now, that's a lot to say. Let me just summarize it for you this. The Apostle Paul is writing to the believers in Ephesus and he says, there's a power that's being brought up against you. We're fighting against it. You're supposed to put on the armor of God so that you're equipped. Where are you going to get the armor of God? 
Well, there's this thing in Ephesians 4 where he says that God has ordained that there would be apostles, there would be pastors and teachers that would equip the saints. So it's through people like that are called like me to be able to equip the saints so that you have the armor of God on so that you can stand and having done all to stand against the powers that are in this world that are against Christ. I could take you to one of my favorite verses, which is why we've been studying Psalm 2. Why do the heathen or the, the secular people rage? Why do the common folks imagine vain things? Even their rulers will set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed one, Jesus, and the pastors. Why have they done this? Why are they raging? Because they want to cast away the cords. They want to cut the cords. It's almost like the baby needs to be pulled away from the mom and they want to cut that cord and have no more connection. The secular world wants to cut off all of this Christianity stuff. And that's why you're finding even today, they'd like to erase the word created from the declaration. They'd even like to erase nature's God. Because there is no God in nature if it's all up to us to fix nature. You know, if we're going to be able to legislate to fix the nature, then why do you need God at all? It's really interesting when you see this. That's why 2 Chronicles 7, 14, Brother Charlie's favorite verse, if my people who are named by my name, who are identified with me, will do a few things. If they'll humble, if they'll humble themselves, in other words, stop thinking that they are God themselves. Okay? If we will pray, which means that there, we acknowledge there is a God and it's not us, we're going to talk to him about everything in Philippians 4, 6. Um, and seek my face. In other words, we want the agenda. We want the smile of God. We want the quorum Deo not to look at us with wrath and anger. We don't want God to look at us and our culture and say, I'm going to send a flood. No, he, he said he wouldn't send a flood. You'll even see that in Evan Almighty, the, the comedy. But he didn't say he's not going to bring judgment. He's just not going to let the, the, the tide rise and do what uh, some of the people are afraid it's going to happen. That's why they have this climate change talk. If they will seek my face and turning from wickedness, from the powers that we mentioned from Philippians chapter 6, then God says, you might get a space of grace. I'll definitely hear you, but it'll be my agenda whether I'll bring healing to the whole land or for a season. Now, those are some of the things that are laid out before us. And uh, I was just saying, that is fascinating for me to to lay it out for you like this. Here we are, and the front of the bulletin has the picture of our, of our country with the flag tattered and with people with broken, broken bones. The guy with the broken bones is to try to take you to the passage of, of Acts chapter 3, but the nation that is going through some difficulties. My goodness, I was glued to the, uh, uh, to, to the internet this week looking at a couple of the different denominations, the Christian denominations, to even see if they would stay orthodox. The Southern Baptists recently met, the, the Methodist group, they've already done some struggling, some Episcopals have done some things, and even the PCA this past week. They're all wrestling with whether they're going to be woke enough. You know, and some of you don't even know what I'm talking about with that, but, but they're, they're basically asking the question, does culture need to dictate us or does the scriptures need to be what we stand on? And when you start to realize, praise the Lord, there's been quite a few uh, that I've heard from the internet listening to some of the denominational things. There are some godly people standing up and they're saying the Bible hasn't changed. 
just because you've got neighbors and relatives and maybe even children and maybe even parents and maybe even people that are in the military that are saying, oh no, the old ways have to be passed and now the new ways is that there is no morality. You're free to do whatever you want, even sexually. You can pick whatever bathroom you want. You can pick whatever ID you want. You can, you can do anything you want. Beware of the voices that, you're, that are being clamoring in this culture because it's slipping into the church. And many of us are willing to make deals just so that it's not worse. But be careful when you're making deals with, these, with the powers of darkness. Our battle is not with your relatives and your neighbors. Our battle is with the evil one who seeks like a roaring lion to devour you and yet will come to you with persuasive arguments, Colossians 2, verse 8. Beware, brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, having laid that out, I was saying on the beach today, uh, it was eight years ago on today that I stood out there and, and actually proclaimed the gospel. Eight years ago, 2013, July 4th, 1,500 people gathered at the beach. Uh, I remember we had a special prayer meeting over at the Avenue Inn in, in one of those front rooms, and we had a whole bunch of our officers gathering together, praying that God would give us favor. We didn't know if there was going to be all-out warfare or if people were going to come out and have posters to picket and anything else. We didn't know. I know I was on the front page of the newspaper, the, the news journal, a couple of times. I actually had been taken to Philadelphia to be on TV where I was interviewed by Fox and Friends in the morning. Uh, and, and actually, Glenn Beck had called up to try to find out what was going on in Rehoboth. What was going on here? There was a, a pastor who just wanted to stand up in Rehoboth at the bandstand and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And guess what? I was told, you can't. You can't. That would be a violation of church and state. And they told me this to my face. They wouldn't give us the permit to be able to do it. And it was really interesting how from that, that conflict turned into this, 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 this. And so many people were standing there saying, am I going to stand with the pastor or am I not? Is the church going to take a stand or are we going to back away and disappear? Oh, some people were saying, let's not, let's not confront the culture. And other people were saying, what a platform we have. Well, we ended up standing up. And I'll never forget, I had a 99-year-old guy standing, or he was in his upper 90s, a GI. Uh, we had another fellow who was a, another elder on the church, and he was one of the people from France who was liberated. And, uh, and we had people stand up there and sing the Star Spangled Banner. And there was I'm at the beach preaching from John chapter 8, where Jesus drew a line in the sand. Well, the spin had gotten out that that pastor was drawing a line in the sand against the tyranny of Rehoboth. <laughs> the only tyranny that really was in, in Rehoboth is that people were not being free to hear the truth, that Jesus can set them free. Now, here we are standing eight years later, and I want to proclaim the truth. If you're following along with me today, the truth hasn't changed. The same message I preached there about John 8 still comes from Acts chapter 3. And I want you to be able to see uh, how the power of God can change things. After we had prayed, we went over to the, to the beach. They, it was really cool. They had one of those limousine little uh, carts. And uh, so the avenue, they had a chauffeur, and they drove me over. I was, I was like, this is cool. We got over to the beach, and I got to stand up and preach about Jesus Christ to Rehoboth Beach, talking about the one who can free you from the condemnation of the abuse of sexual liberty. 
how cool that is. I could preach the same message again. Now, today's message is a little different. In Acts chapter 3, verse 2, I want to be able to connect a lot of these dots as we're laying the foundation for walking through Acts 3, 4, and 5, okay? Uh, the three points that I'm going to in, in, encounter today is about the narrative. If you're looking at the bulletin card, you can see that the thing that we're talking about is the narrative has changed, and that's something that most of us probably don't realize that when we look at this particular text, because what's going on here first is we have the narrative of brokenness existing. So if you're keeping notes, that's the first point. The narrative of brokenness existed already. I want to expose that and look at that a little bit more. Secondly, I want to draw your attention to the narrative of change being revealed. In other words, things are not going to stay the same that they've been. Okay? And, and, and change is coming. It's almost like the weather that comes through. And then thirdly, I want to draw your attention that the change that we're talking about is, the, is a new narrative. It's God's narrative, and it is the narrative of hope that takes root. And it's really quite a fascinating thing when you begin to realize how this all unfolds. Now, in the particular passage we're looking at, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, you're going to see that Peter and John were going up to the temple. I kind of explained it to you so you can see it. And as they're going to church, as they're doing what apostles are going to do, what do apostles do at church? They probably disciple. They probably teach. They're probably counseling and praying. But as they're getting there, they were distracted. The secular world around them caught their attention. And if you look at how it unfolds, this lame man was, was put down kind of in front of them. It was almost like he was an obstacle. They might have even put him in front of you, almost like today when you're driving down to Rehoboth, uh, there's always going to be cars in front of you that make you not get the next light. He was laid down at this place called the Beautiful Gate. It really didn't make it very beautiful to have people laying around there. In fact, most people, if, 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 if today, how many of us like to get into traffic? Do you like to sit in traffic? No, you'll find a way around it. You know, you used to go Plantation Road, but now that's got traffic too, so where do you go? Sometimes they'll reroute you all the way up to 110 so you can come down 26. Those of you that are familiar with the turf, you know what I'm talking about. If you're heading to, to Bethany or if you're heading to Ocean City, they almost wanted you to bypass all of this stuff. Well, I can imagine that these guys, Peter and John, they probably didn't get up in the morning and say, man, I want to I be blocked by this guy. Okay, so when you realize all of these situations, it's kind of fascinating. But... Now that I've got your attention about this guy, I just have to back up just a little rewind and say, what has been the narrative? You know what I'm talking about. On January 6th, in our country, there was a new narrative that was put forth. If you would turn on the TV after that, or if you go to major newspapers, uh, the narrative in our country was no longer about a flawed election. It was all about an, an insurrection. And you couldn't get away from it anywhere. It was fascinating how it was popping up here, 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 here. I mean, it was, if you play whack-a-mole and you try to hit the things, I mean, all the heads were coming up. You didn't even have to try to look for it. Every, the narrative had been changed. And with the narrative change, if you had voted a certain way, you were now on the outside. It was really fascinating how they changed the narrative. I've asked a few of you that, are, that have your finger on the pulse, has the narrative changed since January 6th? 
And most of you are saying it is changing. That they're not unabated anymore. They're, the, the progressive movement is not free and clear. It's running into obstacles. It's running into roadblocks. It's running into people that are saying, enough. It's running into parents that say, I don't want that to be taught to my kids. It's running into new obstacles. But it still hasn't stopped it. Now, that narrative talk, you know what I mean. Back in the day when, the, when Jesus had just been walking on this earth, he had been three years doing ministry. The narrative was kind of interesting. There was buzz. People were saying, maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the one. And when they'd see him feed 5,000 or feed 15,000, they were saying, whoa, this is the guy. But then when he didn't do it the next day, they were saying, I wonder if he's going to do it again. I wonder if he's the one. Now, all of this stuff was kind of fascinating. And finally, when Jesus shows up and he looks like he's going to, to do something radical, we call that Palm Sunday. You know that when we've had the kids doing the palm branches. Well, why was everybody so excited saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna? It's because the narrative was, he's going to do something. And when he came riding, not on a white horse, and a, you know, he came riding on a donkey, on the colt, the, full, you know, the, 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 the little one. Well, I think people were still scratching their head a little bit saying, well, he's coming at least. It's kind of unorthodox what he's doing, you know, coming on a donkey. Some people knew about the Old Testament scriptures that said he would. But as he shows up, there was so much excitement in the air. The narrative was he's going to take over. He's going to give us an election result that we're going to be happy with. He's going to replace the Romans and we're no longer going to have crucifixions. We're not going to have all this stuff. We're going to have freedom. That was Sunday. By Thursday, the people had been listening to the news stations and they were told that this Jesus guy was a, was a violent guy. They, you can't trust him anymore. He went into church and turned the tables over. He is a, he's a nasty, violent guy. You don't want to be associated with him. The narrative had changed so quickly that they just needed a few key people to stand up when Pilate was doing the, the, the testing. And, and those people would shout out, Hey, he's bad. We want Barabbas. Crucify him. <laughs> a far cry from what was going on three or four days earlier. The narrative had changed. Jesus ends up being crucified. The cross was not empty. The crown of thorns was not just hanging on top. Christ had been utterly humiliated. Isaiah had already told us about it. He would be despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. And we hid as if it were our faces from him. We couldn't stand it. He was humiliated. He was beaten. The chastisement for our peace was laid upon him. There was a sense of like, uh, we couldn't look. Almost all the disciples fled. John didn't. He stood there with Mary, but Mary was weeping. It was tough. Peter, he learned a few new curse words. I don't know that guy. The very guy who just a few hours earlier had pulled a little pocket knife out. It's like his concealed carry permit. He had pulled that little knife out and he was starting to use it. He had good aim because he got his ear of Malchus. You can read the rest of the story. Jesus said, put it away. You don't understand what's going on. 
Peter was frustrated. This is the second time Jesus had pretty much told him to back off. Earlier, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. Because Peter said, I don't want you to die. I don't want you to suffer. I don't want you to be humiliated. I don't want you to be hoisted up there. I want you to be the king. And I'm willing to fight for it. That was the narrative until Jesus was being led away after Judas's kiss. And Jesus, and Jesus was taken down the Via Della Rosa to Calvary's cross. There was not hardly anybody. I'm not even sure if any of you would have stepped out to help. The narrative was so bad. So bad. He ends up being put on the cross. They stick a spear in him, and he goes in a grave. And the narrative is still so bad. Those, those people that follow that Jesus, they're so wackadoo. They're so crazy. They're going to come up with stories. They're going to hijack the, the tomb. They're going to do all this stuff. Can you imagine all that conspiracy theory? Sounds like it's been done again. We all come up with these schemes. I mean, Jesus is now raised from the dead, and he's been seen. 500 people came out of the tombs, and there was a lot of chatter and buzz, but my goodness, people don't rise from the dead, and the average person is still saying, what? Jesus seems to be fleeing, folks. He was up in Galilee. If you remember during the time leading up to Pentecost, uh, he's been equipping a few of the key disciples. He gave them that great commission that we read about. He says, I'm going to give you something called authority. And then Jesus does this thing that is pretty cool. He did a Superman move on the Mount of Olives. He just took off. And I'm telling you, I've stood at the Mount of Olives, and I, was, I just stand there gazing and say, what would it have been like? It's not movies. Jesus, the Son of God, was going back to heaven. And the angels come back and they, you know, they're trying to wake up the guys because they're all in glossy-eyed, look, put your jaw back up. You know, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus with left is going to come back. Now, I'm trying to lay all this foundation for you for this whole series. It's because the narrative was so bad that even when Jesus left, then you're saying, well, what do we do now? They did come up with a good plan. Let's have a prayer meeting. That doesn't work in 2021. How many of you even come to pray? Oh, sorry, I went to Medlin. I've been in the South too long. Last week I preached in North Carolina in a church that was built during the, the Civil War. In 1857 it was commissioned. And it was in that pulpit, and it was tight and tiny and all that stuff. Uh, it even had balconies around it and all, but... I had to slow down. Tried to have a little southern drawl. Maybe I can bring that back up since we're in southern Delaware. But anyway, the, the, uh, the point I'm trying to make is that the, the narrative had changed and people really weren't sure what they were going to do next. They prayed. And then the power that was told from Acts 1.8 was given. People needed power to, con to go against the power of this world. Now, having said all of that, the power comes out in Acts chapter 2. And the Holy Spirit is, is challenging these people who had been previously under this narrative to actually speak up. And 2,000 people are converted, so it's kind of cool. I mean, wow. The guy was bold enough to say, you put Jesus to the cross. And then people said, oh, 
I'm going to follow Jesus. 2,000 were converted. If you have your Bibles open, you can see it at the end of chapter 2. They were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who should be saved. So the things are a little bit different. And now you think that the narrative is put into their favor and they're going to church and now they're not afraid to go to church because Pentecost has come. The power of God is being unleashed. And in chapter 3 now, Peter and John, they're going to church and then they're blocked by the no-name guy that has a bad leg. Get him out of the way. You can just see him saying to the, to the people that were helping than Peter and John, we don't want to be bothered. Come on, we have more important things to do. That's not what the text says. That in the midst of all of this, I believe the Acts 1-8 power is to keep us from being blind to the broken man. And the first point that you see there is that the narrative of brokenness is seen. Those of you that are dealing with aging parents, you know what brokenness is like. Those of you that are dealing with your own ailments, you know what brokenness is like. If you work in the medical field, you know what brokenness is like. If you work as a social worker, you know about brokenness. A lot of us want to hide from brokenness. We want a nice middle class where everybody makes a nice income and everybody's nice and everybody's wonderful and everybody doesn't worry about who you vote for. If you understand what I'm saying, we don't like to see brokenness. And yet the power of the Spirit is reminding us that brokenness is in this world. The narrative of brokenness is here. Now, if I could just forward, fast forward you from, from Acts chapter 3 to 1776. We're here on, January, or on July 4th. What happened on July 4th? If I don't specify the right date, some of you might say, oh, that was the day that Thomas Jefferson died. That was the day that John Adams died. It's true. They both died on July 4th. But about 51 years later, I think. But what, what they're known for is what happened in 1776 because the country was broken. It was really a tough time. The taxes were unusual. They were, there was uncomfortableness. People that supported the, the English crown and people that wanted to have liberty and freedom, but they didn't know what liberty and freedom looked like. Okay? There were folks who were trying to establish a more perfect uh, situation for their families, and there was a lot of clergy. There was a lot of people giving money to the Bible societies because they were, their hope was that people would start reading the Bible and be an educated community, and hence that's why the first schools that were started in the U.S., Harvard and Yale and these and Princeton. Do you know what they were started for? To train the clergy to be able to adequately know the Bible so they can teach the people about Christianity. I mean, that's our, the foundations of our country. And when people want to rewrite history in 2021, they're erasing that part. And they're going to say, oh, those bad people, they didn't stop slavery. They didn't stop sin. The way to stop sin is to get people to know Christ. Amen. Now, having said that, in 1776, the country was quite broken. It was so bad that the 56 signers came to Philadelphia, and when they got together, they wrestled through this. From my reading and understanding of history, there was a committee of five that was appointed. Can you imagine being Thomas Jefferson, the young guy? You know that whatever you're going to write on that piece of paper, guess who's going to get a copy of it? King George. 
King George had, had something like the FBI and stuff, and they could send spies on you. They didn't have the Patriot Act and all those other kind of things, but they had Tories all over the place. And by the way, if you do sign the piece of paper and you put your name on it, Thomas Jefferson or whatever, they know where you live. They didn't even need facial recognition. They didn't have to track your phone. If you're going to write your name on there, and that's what the 56 signers, they signed their name and they said, we have to separate because this is a broken system. We can't carry on like this because there is a creator who made us in his image and we're not supposed to be subservient. All men are created equal because God made people in his image, the Imago Deo, in the image of God. And that changed the narrative. A lot of people didn't get their text message that said, oh, this is where you're supposed to be to stand against the, the British. Somehow or other, they got the word out. I think there was bells ringing and I think there was some shots fired. And the next thing you know, the British that marched to Concord and Lexington, they noticed that there were a few people in America that weren't going to just say, oh, well. They weren't just going to be nice. I remember standing there where the shot was fired at Lexington Green. You know where those people who had the guns came from? They came from the church. They were the officers and, and some of the men from the church that were right over there. And you know how I know that? It's because the leader of that militia group was a pastor. He knew how to use his gun. And he knew how to use it for a right cause. Now, that was a broken time. The second point of the sermon is not just to focus on the history. Brokenness has always been in this world. You've got it everywhere. In fact, right now, it's hard to watch so many young people today living in this culture of brokenness where they get the glory in their victimhood. I mean, I can't believe the training that even the military are getting. Let's all stand up. If you're from the middle class, take two steps back. If you have an education and you can read, take another step back. If you have a mom and dad who are still married, take three steps back. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Is that the people that are in brokenness get to stay in line, and they're the, or they're the ones, usually it's the other way around. They want to make sure that the people that look like they have all these benefits are so privileged. That the poor people in the back that don't have moms and dads who live together, who are not even married, some of them don't even know who their dads are. The people that don't know how to read and write. The people that don't know how to get their own IDs. The people that don't know how to do a lot of these things because they're disadvantaged. This is what's being taught today, and it's not American. This is the land of opportunity. We don't want anybody to go backwards. We want everybody to go forwards because we are endowed by our creator. We're not evolving because we're trying hard. The second point of the sermon is very brief. I don't have to spend a lot of time on it. It is that there is change. The narrative of change was revealed. And it's kind of interesting. I just want to highlight this one aspect because you can read it on your own. Peter and John were standing there looking at this lame man, and the lame man expected to get a handout. Why did he expect it? Because he got one before. And he got one before. And he got one before. And he got one before. He's been out there 40 years. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He got something different this time. Peter and John looked at him. He said, silver and gold? What's that? He didn't quite say it like that. 
He knew what silver and gold was. Because one of the apostles later says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He said, we're not peddling silver and gold here as a minister of Jesus Christ. What I have, I give you. The power of God, Acts 1-8, had been given to these guys. And now the power of God was going to be given to meet the need of the next. Now, I would surely love to go around today and heal all of your issues. I mean, it'd be great if I could take this hand and say, grow. <laughs> be great. Then I could know what it's like when the wind blows and the hair would be messed up. That's not the way God delivers needs. The needs that we have are not all about our physical ailments. It's not all about broken bones. If you look at it, this guy never got to go to church. The lame man was lame because he never got to go and hear anything. He was always outside, always dependent upon somebody else. He was enslaved to poverty. And then Peter and John look at him and says, it's change. It's not nickels and dimes and quarters or pesos, or, or uh, rupees, or whatever currency. He says, what I have, I give you. That's the big change that we need to realize. Our country needs the power of God. It doesn't need the power of government. And it doesn't need the power of your own creativity. This country needs the truth. Why do you think 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, humble yourselves? It doesn't say lift yourself up. It doesn't say lift your ideas up. It doesn't say you have the solution. Be all you can be. He says, humble yourselves. Stop thinking that you're the Savior. Humble yourselves and look to the one who is the Savior. Talk to him about these needs and these issues and pray and seek his face, do his agenda. That's beautiful. That's the gospel. It's not by our works which we have done, but his work that's completed now, having said that, I said that was the second point, was pretty brief. The third point I want to draw your attention to is the narrative of God's hope, the, the narrative of hope that takes root. If you look at verse 9, the people saw this lame man walking. And at the end, in verse 10, they recognized him as one who had been at the beautiful gate, the one who had asked them for money. Isn't it kind of cool? There's a recognition of something going on. And I don't know about you, but when you get it, oh, yeah, you realize that God's doing something. Now, if you come to this church long enough, you'll hear me talk about the helicopter view of faith. Okay, it's even on my, on my business card, the helicopter idea. Why? Because I use the analogy of, of elevation as a way of Christian maturity. If you get the elevation, if you mature in your, in your walk with Christ, there's four things you're going to see that you wouldn't see if you don't have the elevation. The first thing you're going to see is you're going to see God, and you're going to see his fingerprints on all kinds of things because God works all things together for good. And a lot of times we don't see God's fingerprints on things because we don't have that helicopter view. And we go, oh, no, oh, no, if I don't do this, if I don't do this, if I don't do this, if I don't get the shot, if I don't wear a mask, if I don't do this, if I don't obey. I mean, you can see all the things you have to do because you're running on the treadmill of performing. It's kind of interesting that the hope comes, people understand something's different. There's a new narrative. They're not so busy that they just stepped over this guy. They stopped and they looked. They said, look at me. Let me look at you. 
It's better than the Geico commercial with the little, that's lizard guy. It says, just look in my eye. That commercial, you have to watch the commercials to know that one. No, they looked at this man and they saw his need. And they said, well, the, the change is coming and the people saw the change. Now, having said that, they were filled with wonder and amazement. They knew about this. Now, if I turn to chapter 4, verse 7, if you could bring that one up. Chapter 4, verse 7. And when they sat, uh, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or, or by what name did you do this? Now, in chapter 4, and I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but I want you to know the rest of the story as we'll pick up, is that now some of the religious leaders are looking at Peter and John, and they're saying, What? You guys aren't supposed to be doing that. By what power or what name have you done this? Now, do you remember Acts 1, 8? But you shall receive power when the Spirit of God comes upon you to be able to be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay, that's the power that we need to be able to confront the spiritual wickedness in this world. And now the religious leaders say, what? Where are you getting this stuff? Did you plug into something? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, in other words, the power of the Spirit comes upon him, and he says, you people, you rulers, you elders, verse 9, if we were to be examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means has this, has this guy been healed? Then let it be known to all of you and to all the people that are in this country of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one who you crucified just a few weeks ago, it's in his name that God raised him from the dead, and by him, the risen Christ, this man is standing before you as well. Whew. Do you see how the narrative has changed? I'm going to wrap up here with the application. If you know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, then you would be singing this song too, what have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Are you resting in Christ alone for eternal life? Or are you still on the treadmill of religion? I'm telling you that things changed with the resurrection of Jesus we were empowered to go into all the world and tell people about him. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to take the word of God and he's going to, as I quoted for you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that the preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ is to them in this world who are perishing foolishness. They're going to look out and say, you are a kook. You mean, you mean to believe that you believe in Jesus Christ? They're going to look at us with scorn, disdain, they might even call you deplorable or some other name. My point is this. But unto us who are being saved, it is the power of God for your salvation to everyone who believes. Are you believing? Lord Jesus, I do ask that you'll minister to us on this July 4th. Help us to realize that the power we're looking for is not one to take over the government, to put somebody else in Washington in the different seats, or even in Dover in the different seats, or even in Rehoboth or Lewis or Milton or Milford or Millsboro. Lord, our goal is not to fix this world. 
Our goal is to take the power of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Lord, you'll change the hearts. You'll take the hearts of stone and make them hearts of clay. You will remold them and shape them, just like you've done to those of us who are saved. And you'll bring us into the family of God. For the power of God is able to adopt us, to give us an inheritance that is out of this world. And that's why we can truly say that our hearts need not be troubled, no matter what goes on. Lord, we do live in a brokenness society. But the narrative has been changed because of the death, burial, and resurrection of the risen Christ. Lord, we thank you that because of the power of God, that lives can be saved of our spouses, of our children, and our grandparents, and even of our neighbors. And I pray that you would bring us into unity in the body of Christ. We thank you for this gospel message in Jesus' name. Amen.